0: Like a, it's always like a little mini film festival rolling on Tim's television here. What, <laughs> now, this is, what, what network is this? We're watching Runaway here in the background with Tom Selleck and uh, Gene Simmons from 1980.
1: Yeah. What was it? Oh, I, late 80s or uh, early
0: 90s? Yeah, it's got kind of, uh, it. Something it's, like that. Uh, this, yeah. is this,
1: uh, this is TV.
0: This TV, I think is what they call that. This TV. This TV, yeah. Always interesting curation. Look at Tom wearing his LAPD operating outfit. Looking, looking fantastic. Yeah. I, I
1: like those shows because they, were, they th- this movie because it was set ever so slightly in the future. Yeah. Of whatever whatever year this movie came out was, uh, but however far in the future it was, Runaway 1984. Uh, yeah. uh, it, so it's probably set in like you know 1999 or something like that. Yeah. And they didn't get anything right. <laughs> they it's never a, do. Not a single thing.
0: We're still waiting for Moonbase Clavius. You know, that was, I, that was supposed to happen 18 years ago. Yeah, yeah. what are you going to do? What yeah.
1: are you going to do? Yeah. All right. Oh, well. we were just, uh, Michael Crichton directed that. I forgot. Michael yeah. it was one of his books that was adapted. Yep. We were yeah. talking about Tom's uh, movie ma- career. Amazing career
0: before the show, yeah. You
1: know, and uh, he had a little, uh, yeah, a little. you know, some of these movies are sort of interesting, and some of them play and some of them don't. You know, Some of them were big and some of them weren't. I was always a fan of Quigley Down Under. Him and Laura San Giacomo. Yeah, it's I love that movie. I loved the theme of that movie. I
0: Road to China. I, I Road to China. One of, yeah. one of his first ones with Bess Armstrong.
1: Armstrong. Yes. Uh, in that movie, and I forget sometimes that Tom was one of the anchors of those Three Men and the Baby movies. Yeah. Uh, sure which was. him was and Gutenberg Dudenberg and who's Ted now Danson. Drag queen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and What's Ted wrong, Danson, uh, who was still on Cheers when that when those movies came Yeah. Out. And those were some really big movies. Like the first one was directed by Leonard Nimoy.
0: It was directed by Leonard. The second was directed by Leonard Nimoy, and the second was written by my friend Charlie. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, of
1: course. You know, uh, it's just you know interesting to think back. uh, Yes, indeed. On that little film period. Funny thing about those movies. Those were big movies, big studio movies. Yeah. Uh, you know, directors, the whole shebang. Not a single one of them could be made today. That's it. On the studio system. Not a single one. Three Men and a Baby, at best, Netflix movie.
0: Well, as long as we're talking about filmmaking, how's yours going?
1: Actually quite good. Uh, uh I've gotten to the end of the timeline that is to say finished the first edit before cool. I handed over to it. Uh, uh once and then I thought about some things I wanted to do so I'm I'm going back and tweaking things before I hand it over to the proper Outstanding. editor. And you helped me uh, uh with the little technical problem that I was having with some uh, run times and, yeah. and whatnot. Got That all straight now. Good deal. Uh and it is uh you know I don't want to be I don't want to be too narcissistic about it but why the hell not?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Cuz mostly what it is uh, is, 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 it's, uh, it's the co-star of the film, the young actress who's in the film, uh, playing Ms. Daisy. Yeah. Which is the name of the film, Ms. Daisy. It has to do with uh, driving Ms. Daisy and all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's uh, very th- referential th- th- in very a very way. Well, I hope so, anyway. Uh, and uh, so I needed a Daisy, and I got myself a perfect uh, a young actress uh, playing Daisy, a sassy young black woman. Uh, and, you know, she's just hysterical right. <laughs> to me in this really movie. Good. She cracks me up all the way through it, and I hope she will. Other people do. We shall see. And then, Your film. Yes, we've uh, uh,
0: we got a little short film, which uh, I think I've mentioned here before. Uh, which uh, f- So for people who remember, I went to Jordan a couple of years ago and did a filmmaking boot camp at a, uh, at a refugee camp in Jordan at the Azraq Refugee Camp. That trip was organized by a friend of mine, Brant Anderson, who is uh, who has produced a ton of things. He was an executive producer on uh, Lone Survivor and Everest and and Two Guns and a, the original Escape Plan and uh, even Scorsese's last film he was on. He, he was a producer on uh, Mother's Day. And uh, Brant has a particular passion for the refugee situation over there, and he organized this great trip, and, and we had some wonderful people on it. Jason Begay from Chicago PD and... Uh, uh, Shay Mitchell from Pretty Little Liars, Tobias Schlesler, who was the cinematographer for Beauty and the Beast and Lone Survivor. Flash forward a couple of years, uh, Brant's got himself a, an opportunity to make a great little short film um, financed by a company that's now financing short films. And uh, he wrote himself a script that deals with the refugee crisis.
1: Powerful script.
0: And its it was a terrific script and um, pulled my wife on to produce it. And we shot in June And it is now finished as of literally yesterday, and we have an Oscar qualifying run at the end of September. So anyone in Los Angeles, if you're in Los Angeles, want to encourage you to support our little movie. It's going to be playing at the Royal Theater in West Los Angeles uh, starting on uh, September 20th, 20th through the 26th a one-week Oscar qualifying run. It'll be showing once per day. I don't have a show time yet. I'm going to assume it'll be sometime around 1 p.m., something like that. So it'll be an afternoon uh, showing, one per day, but for a week. And uh, the film is called Refugee. And a lot of the people from that trip to uh, Jordan returned. Tobias came back to shoot it as cinematographer. And uh, Jason Begay has a part in it. Omar C., the French guy Jason actor. Begay from, of course. Uh, Chicago PD, yeah. all the Chicago shows. Yeah. Jason's great. Uh, Omar C., the uh, French actor who uh, starred in uh, The Intouchables*, uh, is uh, has a part in it. And the star is um, Yasmin Al Masri, who was on Quantico yeah. for a number of years, playing two parts. And uh, Yasmine is amazing, absolutely amazing. Breathtaking. And the, uh, breathtaking. It's, it's, it's the word the And word. The, uh, the actress who plays her daughter, Masa Daoud, Masa is, uh, is actually herself a Syrian refugee. She came here in 2012, seven years ago so it's uh, it 's wonderful, and there's another little girl the other little girl in it who plays Sarah, yeah, she actually goes to el- the same elementary school as my daughter. oh, get out of here she's she's in fourth grade <laughs> I, I literally met her she my whenever my wife drops our daughter off over there she like they they talk, they bump into each other, and just yesterday i we were there waiting to pick up our daughter and um that she she runs over and my wife puts her arm around her, she goes does she look familiar and i look at her and i go <laughs> you did
1: not know well you know the she entire looks different time you were making the movie no
0: you I had, had no idea that kid had was no idea all, had no idea, uh, had, no idea. That is had no idea her hair is all different i was looking <laughs> at her and i'm like oh i don't know oh oh yes <laughs> I've, I've seen you in the movie 150 times um so <laughs> she's really good too she's really that good scene on the beach she's really good so <laughs> anyway it's uh we're, we're so proud of the film and uh as well keep, you should be keeping our Fingers crossed that we can uh, we get an Oscar nomination out of it because it'll it'll do more than just help everybody's careers. It obviously will help the uh, the Syrian situation.
1: I'm, I'm I'm wondering as we start creeping creeping into the yeah you know, t- 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 the season this time of the year, I'm wondering if we will have a, a uh, awards season without any sort of weird controversy, you know, Kevin Hart and the tweets, or uh, too old, yeah. Oscar too old, Oscar too white, Oscar yeah. too this, Oscar that. Those seems, uh, all
0: those things seem to have sort of leveled off. You don't hear there, any of that anymore. There yeah. does seem to be some controversy fatigue setting in, because there is already a little Me Too fatigue, which anybody who remembers my, you know, I wrote a piece about this right when the Harvey Weinstein thing broke, called Hollywood's Bastille Moment, And I kind of warned about this. You know, these grassroots movements have a a tendency to overreach a little bit, to overextend themselves in ways that become counterproductive down the line. And, uh, you know, that's the nature of a grassroots movement. You don't have a a person or a board or an administration sort of plotting strategy. You you tend to have elements that will push too hard or push in the wrong direction. And next thing you know, you've lost control of whatever the original purpose was and I think people do have a little bit of fatigue about these no things. No matter how valuable that purpose is. No matter how valuable that was, purpose you know. is. I think, I think there is some fatigue, and it's exactly what you just said, which is people are like, oh, I hope we have, a, you know, I'd love a boring award season for a change again, where, you know, it's just which film is best, which performance yeah. is best. Well, they're not the- even
1: talking about hosts. I don't think we're ever going to have another host. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, by the, by now there would be names.
0: I still think, <clears throat> I still think Kevin Hart will get to host.
1: Not anymore. Not after this whole car crash situation. That, uh, well, oddly, yeah. I mean, it's oddly that another thing sort of came yeah, up. And on yeah. the day, yeah, on the day, yeah, and they, oh, you know, some guy driving with Kevin and his friend. Yeah. And Kevin was not driving the 1970 Barracuda. Yeah, Kevin, I know, was not driving his. Nineteen seventy classic Barracuda. He's got the buddy driving.
0: Yeah, really. Yeah, really. On on Mulholland. Yeah.
1: So you know. Anyway, yeah. I don't know what the hell is up with that kind of crap. Dude. <laughs> just 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 cop to it all. You yeah. know, just cop to it all, uh, and 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 deal with it in the moment rather than making some crap up. Yeah. Because you know what? The thing about police departments and fire departments and all the kind that, of stuff, yeah. they're smart.
0: Yeah, they'll figure things and out.
1: And they're going to figure it out. So just yeah. – uh, anyway. So, But you know what? I don't think there's ever going to be another host of the Oscars. I just don't think there's no, – there's no reason.
0: Uh, there There isn't a reason unless we get to some kind of a, a moment in nostalgia where people feel they want one and there is someone who absolutely screams this person must host. Uh Yeah. You know, if there's suddenly somebody who is just eminently like there that this person has to host, I still think Jerry Seinfeld would have been a great host. Oh sure, he'd still be a sure. good one. Sure, yeah, you yeah. Know, but they probably feel he's too old, which is crazy.
1: Yeah. But well, you know, we, we were just talking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Right. No. Anyway, all right, launching launching into the show. Got some, uh, got a bunch of anime here. Most of it is Funimation, but I got a sente here from uh, Section 23, Initial D theatrical collection, and this is Legend One, Legend Two, and Legend Three. Initial D, of course, is is kind of like the uh, the Speed Racer for another generation, and uh, you know it's it's all about street racing. It's like like Speed Racer meets Fast and Furious in the anime world. Um, but this is all three movies, all three initial D movies, Legend 1, Legend 2, and Legend 3 from Sente. It's a great collection, and it arrives in a car moment that we're having here in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Film Week, we just talked about the documentary Blink of an Eye, which, for those who don't know, is about the 2001 Daytona 500 race, which is, is, is uh, particularly about the, yeah. the fact that you had Michael Waltrip won the race, his mm-hmm. first win in like nearly five, like 467 races. He had lost... And it was the first time he won. And he won for his team owner, Dale Earnhardt, yeah. who the longtime rival of his brother, yeah. Daryl Waltrip, four seconds after Dale Earnhardt hit the wall in a fatal collision. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like that. And and number two was Dale Earnhardt Jr. Yeah. And six days later, they were in another race, and they by then they knew that obviously that Dale had had, had died. And uh Michael. Came in second, and Dale Dale Jr. came in first. Yeah, it's just you can't write drama like that, and nobody would believe it.
1: It is, it is the, the definition of bittersweet.
0: It is that uh, is
1: you know I mean it, you're, and you're right you know I make a movie and I, you, yeah. you know a fictional film I write that into a fictional film and they would say like oh man you're uh, yeah. really you're really you're it up. really making it you're padding
0: it and then we got Ford versus Ferrari dealing with Le Mans, yeah. Le Mans yeah, yeah coming out later in the in the season so initial D will will totally scratch your itch man initial D theatrical collection Legend one Legend two Legend three. Uh, and then we also got one here from the uh, the Shout Factory G Kids people. They keep finding really really great gems, uh, and wow, what a what a sensational movie this is! I mean, G Kids just uh, they they find such cool anime, and they really give it such great treatment. The Case of Hannah and Alice. Um, such a beautifully written this is uh, you know we, we joke a lot of, and, and I have more coming about the, the school kid obsession the school girl obsession in anime and in Japan it just comes over and over it's like you know there, there have to be a hundred shows in anime that are set in a high school or in an elementary school and school uniforms and kids who become superheroes and kids who do you know sports and whatever it is and it all is just so very but it, every once in a while there's a gem that just sets itself apart in a, in a coming of age way and um this is wonderful this is about a girl who transfers to a new middle school where there is this this long standing myth this uh kind of urban legend about a kid that was uh that was killed by uh other kids i mean the kid literally did really disappear but what happened to the kid that's what uh nobody really can uh, can confirm but suddenly there are um there are all kinds of things about that event that didn't coincide with her life. Notably, the fact that she discovers that the the kid's house is next door and is now occupied by this other this other student, and um, the from this we wind up getting into a kind of a Nancy Drew type of thing, like Nancy Drew times two, where these girls decide to uh, try to solve the case. And it winds up being just this beautiful, beautiful coming-of-age story. It's not a whodunit, it's a coming-of-age story. And it is really, really nicely done. It's very, very sweet. And it is called The Case of Hannah and Alice. Uh, a lot of great stuff from Funimation here. Card Captor Sakura, clear card. Uh, this is strictly an acquired taste. Card Captor Sakura is a, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a female-oriented Joseph Campbellian mythical journey. And it all centers around cards, uh, you know, cards for the girls, which are like rings in the Lord of the Rings uh, saga. And, of course, there's a whole school thing because she's still in school. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's magical and very candy colored. Everything is all pinky and purpley and funky and fun. Uh, Black Clover continues to be a thing. This is a terrific season one part 5 boxed set that includes a dazzling booklet with all kinds of wonderful, wonderful artwork in it. And uh, this is episodes 40 through 51. Also a ton of extras, textless opening and closing. Uh, you got the songs, you've got it's just it's a loaded loaded thing. So if you like Black Clover, and a lot of people do, really, really cool artwork, very dark, very intense. Um, this is a good one to get, especially coming up on gift time. One I was not familiar with is Basilisk, uh, the Uka Ninja Scrolls, the part two. Uh, Basilisk, also very, very dark, set in feudal Japan, uh it has some supernatural elements to it but uh the the ninja scrolly aspect to it is pretty pretty great um but not as good as ninja scroll proper but basilisk really really good for feudal stuff i wish there was more anime that dealt with uh, the feudal period with oh, yeah. samurais and ninjas and yeah. All, yeah. all that stuff shogun so, all that love all that stuff uh we're you know in on the mecha end of things we have space battleship uh juramisu Uh, This is season two plus the OVAs not originally aired on television. Uh, You know, anything that starts with space battleship means that it's descended from space battleship uh, Yamato, space cruiser Yamato, Star Blazers and all that stuff. And they're really just riffing on that, that, that corner of Mecca. Um, is this as good? No, it's just different, really. I wouldn't say it's it's better or not as good. It's not my speed, but it's it, it definitely tries to pave its own way. A lot of really cool designs, some good characters. Gets a little bit far fetched at times. Uh, I, at least I appreciated that Yamato tried to keep it a little bit, you know, grounded in uh, in, in in sensible science fiction. But this one uh, doesn't really feel that constraint. Uh, Dragon Ball Super Part eight, episodes ninety-two through one oh four. If you have not seen the preceding ninety-one episodes, don't bother with this. Get started beginning. None of this stuff will make sense to you. It's all it it's, you know, now we're in the uh the 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 Z Fighters and the tournament of power, and none of this stuff will make sense. The spiky hair won't make sense. If you're not up to speed on Dragon Ball. Especially on uh, Dragon Ball Super, don't don't even start here. But it is a but it's if you're if you're up to speed, it'll be perfectly fine. Uh, we also have the uh, complete series of uh, Fuka. I want to pronounce that correctly because I'll get in trouble if I don't. It's Fuka, F U U K A. Don't don't mispronounce it. Uh, this is again schoolgirls and uh schoolgirls and boys at least and uh anyway in this case it's a boy and, and with some girl trouble and uh you know in a new school and uh anyway Fuka is an amazing girl she just kills it you're going to watch this and you're going to think why isn't there a Fuka in my life why doesn't Fuka exist in the real world she's awesome 12 episodes the original series of Fuka and uh she's just she's just awesome She's absolutely wonderful. It's a little bit of a coming-of-age thing, but mostly it's just uh, just kind of, you know, tween titillation. Uh, We also have the phenomenally well-designed from the Essentials line, strictly on Blu-ray, not a Blu-ray DVD combo set, but strictly from the Essentials line is the very popular Cabaneri of the Iron Fortress, season one. This was released in a combo set last year or about maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, This is just, you know, a reissue as part of the Essentials line. And uh it's it's deservedly part of the Essentials line. It's really, really impressive. These are the people that did uh Attack on Titan originally, and it is uh it's kind of a zombie story. Uh it except the the it's like kaiju meets Gambi, zombies in a way. Um they're zombies, but they're not really zombies, they're a different kind of monster. Anyway, uh, so it's in, you know, in the future, human beings are trying to defeat them, and they've isolated themselves, and they've sequestered themselves into these uh, these armored stations. And uh, there's some interesting drama here, but mostly it's about the artwork. It just is phenomenally detailed and very, very artistic and artful. Got some Steinsgate stuff. That's Steins semicolon gate. Never really did understand that. But uh, we have part two on a Blu-ray and DVD uh, combo set, and then we also have this phenomenal box set for Steinsgate Zero, uh, which is uh, just includes booklet and uh, art cards and phone accessories, and it's just phenomenal. Um So anyway, this is uh, Steinsgate Zero, Part one, episodes uh, one through twelve plus episode two thirty eight. Don't ask me why. Don't really understand it. It's not too too It's like twenty three and 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 a schwa or something. Anyway, uh, didn't watch that extra episode that uh, that special one. Don't really know what it is. Don't really understand it. But the uh, the art book here in this in this larger box set is really impressive. Uh, lots of lots of excellent uh, collectible stuff here for serious anime diehards. And then uh, four more titles, all of which are kind of well. Three of them are are sort of minor uh this one is a little bit less minor the book of bantora uh from sente is um it's a lot of oh it's a lot of sort of mystical s- pseudo-noir titillation i guess uh it deals with the supernatural elements of of heaven and hell and um the 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 management of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, which is kind of a bureaucratic management. Anyway, uh, the Book of Bantora also is just very much about uh, late teenage titillation, and that's fine. Uh, I don't think it's particularly great. These three are very, very uh, slight. Digi Charat skews very young. This is also from Sente, the ultimate collection. Um, This has the whole TV series plus winter garden and specials it's it's really for like this is like alien um this is like like little cute little alien stuff for for 8 and 9 year olds i don't uh i don't really get it um you skew a little bit older for this art club has a problem this is kids in school and uh you know uh, kind of like elementary to middle school um politics centered around uh their little art club it's It's silly. The humor doesn't really translate very well, and then um, slightly better, perhaps for the teenage and tween crowd, is uh, *Gravitation: The Complete Collection*, which has not very great animation. Artwork isn't terribly great, but um, it's got some clever jokes. It's 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 somewhat funny. So you know, if you're if you again for the youth, those are they're out there. Kids love it. I don't quite get it but hey email us at gods@digigods.com at or godsitsinigods.com. Mhm. What else we got? Uh let's see. What are we going to what are we going to do over here? I guess let's we do, call these new movies. Yeah, let's do some I mean it's it's indie stuff. We got some 4Ks yeah. and then we got some uh some indie stuff. So yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess we'll do some of this it, it. indie business here. So we got uh neat little movie with uh, Joe Magna Nello or whatever his name is. He yeah. hangs out with Sophia there you know, oh, very a yeah. little couple thing they are there. Sure uh so coupley that they made a movie together yeah. called Bottom of the Ninth and he's in it and she's in it and i kind of think that's the reason why this movie exists you know as one of those kind of things it's an okay little film joe is playing this uh guy uh who went to prison for a, for a good long time for something he did uh, when he was young he was an aspiring ball player gets out and he gets another shot gets another shot at the big league uh and gets another shot at his life it's kind of like an okay little movie a um, uh, few bonus features on it, and go behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. But mostly, it was probably just a reason for Joe and Sophia to hang out together for, a, uh, you know, eight weeks while they made this movie. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, for sure. Uh, then we have a rather funny little movie called "Did Don't Die in Dallas," a little Texas mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Uh, look, here's 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 the idea in this movie. There's this pill. And if you take this pill, it will either cure or prevent you from ever getting HIV-AIDS. Only it doesn't turn out to do that. Yeah, It turns people into zombies who take the pill. You have this yeah. small town in Texas where a whole bunch of people didn't take the pill. Uh, most of the people who didn't take the pill are either like flamingly gay... <laughs> <laughs> or or Bible thumping sort of Christians, yeah. where they have to band together to fight, to the practice against the zombies. You know, hey, you know what? It's this kinda...
0: starts as star that drag queen from root from the RuPaul RuPaul yeah. thing, exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well,
1: so, but you know what? It's kind of funny. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny. Not
0: correct? to be confused with the actual Jim Jarmusch film, The Dead Don't Die. The
1: Dead Don't Die, which which, no, this, which this, is this.
0: which is also out this week. Uh, the Jim Jarmusch film, The Dead Don't Die, is uh, is pretty hysterical because it's a deadpan Jim Jarmusch zombie movie with Bill Murray and Adam Driver and damn near everybody else in Hollywood uh, who's anybody. It's kind of hysterical how many people just want to work with Jim Jarmusch because his movies are nuts. Uh, but yeah, Rosie Perez and Danny Glover and Chloe Sevigny and Tilda Swinton and uh, Steve Buscemi and... Iggy Pop and Selena Gomez and uh, you know Tom Waits, of course, and the RZA, yeah, back again, who shows up for uh, for Jim Jarmusch anytime he needs somebody to just just be super cool, uh, all all kinds of crazy fun. Look, it's Jim Jarmusch and zombies. I don't really know what else you want me to tell you about it. It's pretty darn funny.
1: Can't hurt yourself it's with really that. Really funny. Can't hurt yourself with that. This movie here, uh, Michael Pare uh, in this movie. I was watching uh, Philadelphia Experiment. Yeah. Uh, just before you came over, it was the other movie that was playing on the television, <laughs> uh, it, which was you know whatever Philadelphia Experiment. Mm-hmm. But I kind of dug that. You know, it was kind of a thing back then. Anyway, Michael's still hanging around uh, in this film called Mayday. There is a different. There's an interesting con- conceit to this movie, right? Uh, so these people on this. Plane and an airliner, they have these electrical problems. The lights are flashing on and off, lightning striking, and all the kind of stuff. When everything settles down, there are always fewer people on the plane. Yep, people are just sort of disappearing from the plane every time. It's kind of almost like a little ten little Indians kind of thing, only on a plane. Uh, and it basically comes down to one of those "What the hell is going on?" kind of movies. And you know what? They come up with a sort of clever notion for what's going on in this movie. Not much on this DVD by way of special features, but you know what? The actual movie was kind of okay. You wouldn't think so, Uh, but it was.
0: As long as we're on the subject of movies with dead in the title, Dead Water Terror Goes Deeper. So this movie stars Casper Van Dien and Judd Nelson. Casper. Which would be an awesome cast... In 1991. <laughs> or seven. Uh, or, or seven. seven. <laughs> um, but uh, for a new movie uh, with Casper Van Dien and Judd Nelson, not so much. Casper Van Dien still looks good. Yeah. He looks the same he, as he did in Starship Troopers. He's still rocking it. He's got, what, like 27 kids? How many yeah, kids do they have? he's just insane. It's that's crazy. It's that's unreal how big that family is. But um, Judd Nelson, Judd Nelson looks, um, he, hes looking he's looking kind of old. Yeah, I gotta be honest. It's With that so, so, beard, is he still yeah. doing the beard thing? Yeah, he's doing the beard thing. Yeah. And and the weird thing is that Judd Nelson now looks like Judd Hirsch. <laughs>
1: Because it's got to be fifty years separating.
0: I yeah, uh, but it's a little it's a little strange. You look at that and you just think you look like the wrong Judd now.
1: Uh, Judd Judd uh, Hirsch yeah. looks the same now as he did when he was playing the dad at Independence Day. That's true. And looked more or less the same then as he looked when he was on that TV show Dear John. Yeah. Which is of course more or less the way he looked when he was in that seventies uh, late seventies sitcom Taxi. I Taxi. Ha- Taxi. So-
0: so let me just say real quickly, as long as you mention Dear John. So Deadwater, it's kind of like, uh, sort of like Dead Calm is what it is. It's basically a riff on Dead Calm with Casper Endian and Judd Delson on Blu-ray and digital. Now, you mentioned Dear John. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you ever knew this, but when David Weishart and I were writing TV specs, we wrote a spec for Dear John.
1: Oh, I knew you guys did one for Fraser. Cheers. We did Cheers. 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 Yeah, we did one, one for
0: Cheers. Cheers. We wrote a really good spec for Cheers. It was phenomenally good, I have to admit. And then they stole our teaser. Not kidding. Ah. They actually, honest to goodness, stole our teaser. Uh, we submitted it. We had an in on the show. Uh-huh. Never heard back. We thought, oh, we thought they'd, for sure the teaser would grab them because our teaser was the bar is empty after hours, and the whole teaser is centered around the answering machine.
1: Oh, I remember that.
0: That was our teaser. Yeah. And we thought, well, maybe they'll still get back to us. And it was about eight, nine weeks later we were watching cheers one of the new episodes that had just premiered from the from the new season and son of <laughs> a bitch the teaser was yeah. the answering machine yeah. after hours yeah we nearly lost our minds this they stole town our teaser.
1: this town is just evil it's shameful it's just an evil evil town shameful. Uh, And
0: that way they can get. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. you know you can't sue because the rest of the script is 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 the thing. Yeah,
1: I I had a couple of burns like that over the course of. uh, But you know what? I, I I took it like this. I must be a pretty good writer. Yeah, no, not, that's true. That's worth getting. That's not worth stealing from.
0: Yes, indeed. Well, you, you and you and Dave and I, we we did have that wonderful little moment where well, we got to write for, uh, for uh, uh, Keith Carradine, Carradine. Yeah, yeah. Keith Carradine for his uh, wrote his monologue before the LA City Council on uh, uh, Will uh, Will Rogers yeah, Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the Will Rogers Follies. With, well, we yeah, have, yeah, we have the, a history. The, the, we have yeah, a history. Yeah, we've
1: been around. Uh, stuff.
0: But the uh, the anyway, the our spec for Dear John was really really good. I mean, we really enjoyed that show. We nailed the characters, and we were really, really very happy with it, and then the show got canceled. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why, folks, if I can give any aspiring writers advice, that's why uh, it is a really dodgy thing to write a spec for an existing television show. Because you don't know how the characters are going to change. You don't know if the show gets canceled. And that spec, if the show is canceled, that spec is obsolete in about a minute and a half. Yeah, it's a lot of work spent for uh, for very little re- potential return.
1: Yeah, and, and, and the the system, the way it's sort of constructed nowadays, entree, yeah, into any
0: sort of uh, uh,
1: narrative television writing, uh, it's 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 a a fairly tightly controlled ecosystem.
0: Very much so. And, More and so than it was then. Oh,
1: so much so. Look, yeah. if you were good at, if you were good and you did something good and you had a contact and you pass it around, sometimes, yay, yeah, you know. Yeah. At worst, it became a script, a, 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 an example of your writing. That was yeah. the, you know, the worst thing that was happening. We know the kid can write. We don't want this thing, but we know the kid can write. Uh, and now it's sort of irrelevant whether or not you're a good writer. Uh, you either have to be kicking the door down from the outside and create a splash with something you could... an Issa Rae. Yeah, uh, or something like that. You know, she does the thing on television. Or you need to be in that system yeah. uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and have gone through the programs and come up through the uh, blah, blah, blah and all of that kind of stuff. So it's not like it was back in the day. Yep, uh, got, a little, got a little film here called Socrates, which is just a wonderful little movie set in San, pa- San Paolo about this young man who's absolutely brilliant. A uh, young man, 15 years old, kind of living on the margins of San Paolo. His mother dies. Uh, and he has to learn uh, to survive on his own uh, in San Paulo, and still he wants to exploit his uh, his creativeness, his, his his brilliance, his genius, actually. Uh, but he has to come to terms with the grief of actually having lost his mother, uh, and then he has to deal with simply living on the streets of San Paolo, gangs, and uh, and you know it's just really, really it, it's a it's a heavy, deeply moving movie. But, you know, it takes you to a spot that you might, might have never been before, never, might have never thought about before. And uh, I was in a lot of film festivals, and it's a really, really good movie. Uh, b- a lot of special features behind the scenes, uh, stuff, some deleted scenes, uh, a yeah, 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 presentation at one of the major film festivals that it was at. Uh, and, uh, you yeah, know, look, I got to recommend this film, Socrates. Uh, you're not going to see something like this every day. And we, we're, we're getting real big about, about uh, promoting uh, independent films, guys, uh, because the independent film scene, is under pressure, which means that the independent theater uh, distribution uh, exhibition is that, under pressure.
0: That uh, Fred Durst thing that uh, Travolta was in. Oh uh, yeah, that he was made, uh, yeah. That was in. Uh, I, I mean, it, seriously, it was making about four dollars and fifty cents per screen. Yeah, per screen. I don't even know weekend, how you do that. That's less than one ticket sold yeah. per screen. Yeah, that's that is a, an epic failure of. Of proportions, I can't even comprehend.
1: Yeah, and it's not that, it, that, that, that it's because it's a bad movie. It might be easy to say because we've been poking fun at, at John Travolta for a while yeah. now. And that was, you know, and whatever. It's not a great movie. Well, he it's plays
0: you, like an autistic serial killer or yeah. something, some kind of crazy thing. Yeah, it's, but you know,
1: but just, I mean, that in and of itself, it's, it's just a bizarre sort of circumstance. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, independent films, guys, you got to start thinking about them again. They're not only on Netflix, uh, American Beach House with Mishka Barton. Yeah, uh, you know, interesting. In, in, interesting sort of goofy little movie. You have these three beautiful young women, three beautiful young men. Uh, uh, they win this contest. Uh, they, you know, from all over the world, sort of random. And they get all expenses paid trip to this amazing, uh, wonderful beach house in Malibu, California. Uh, uh, but then they figure out that they have to sort of share it with each other. Uh, these three couples, cameras everywhere, one of those kind of things. It's kind of fun, yeah. sexy, uh, and you get to see uh, Mishka Barton and lots of other people in bikinis. Yeah. <laughs> So you know,
0: yeah, what that the, reminds me, I, I watched the video again. I was converting some video over the weekend because I have no life. It reminds me of the the little film that we made years and years ago when Mark and I went to the uh, the quote unquote "mala blu ray house." where oh yeah. the blu-ray was being launched <laughs> remember, yeah. And it turned out to be like so it, it, it was we thought it was going to be a demonstration. And mm. we shot a video and I put it all together like a, like a girl's gone wild video. And uh, it wound up being like a full-on beach party thing where with a barbecue. And, a, and I think like 10 seconds before we arrived, uh, Kim Kardashian had gotten into a fight with Paris Hilton or something. It yeah. Was, anyway, those days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a name
1: I haven't heard in a while, Paris Hilton. Yeah. Uh, uh you know, All right. uh, another bikini movie, uh, Bikini Model Academy. Uh, two goofy guys lose their girlfriends. They start this b- bikini modeling service academy just so they can get girls over to their right. house in bikinis. Uh, uh, and uh, you get Busey shows up and Morgan Fairchild. Shows oh, yeah. I love Morgan Fairchild uh, All the way back, Flamingo Road Whatever she was in way back in the day And, and then uh, what happens is uh, Their they're, um, they're, they're, they're grade school enemies They decide they want to start a bikini academy too So you have rivaling yeah. bikini academies And you know what It's a box with a bunch of girls with bikini bottoms on And nothing else uh, I'd say this is about Morgan Fairchild and Gary Busey Looking at them with these sort of leering eyes Which is kind of gross actually uh, but you know what are you gonna do? Um, there was this movie. Uh, there's this movie that I have in my hand. It's called Crisis Hotline, uh, and you know it's this, you know, this this guy who's a counselor at a Crisis Hotline, and uh, it's a life or death situation when a guy calls and he threatens to kill these people and then kill himself. What you gonna do? You know it's kind of like a uh, cell phone or whatever. That, uh, the yeah. phone booth. Phone booth. Yeah. The yep. There was a moment when this movie was called Shadows in Mind. Uh, I don't know what the hell they were thinking with that title. Uh, no, you, 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 you crisis hotlines—the only name for the movie—and uh, you know the name—not that the name is going to help it that much anyway—but it's it's actually an okay little movie. It's it's an okay little movie, kind of tense. Uh, it had a budget of about a buck and a half, but they managed to put together something that works. Uh, mostly, you got a guy on the crisis hotline, you got a guy at the other end of the phone, and uh, and he's trying to talk talk this guy that's killing these people and killing them himself. Uh, bonus features include an audio commentary and interviews with the cast and crew.
0: Fantastic
1: uh got a couple docs won't
0: you? To- yeah, let's uh let's uh, le- you you got some you, those two things with the guitars on them. Ah, well, uh let's 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 hit the music stuff. Let's hit the music docs. Yeah. We'll, well,
1: the first one is Echo in the Canyon which is just a fantastic uh I, I, uh, I did before. not see this. You didn't see the, the Echo didn't in the see Canyon. This.
0: I kept meaning to. It's just you know on on off weeks between film weeks and this sh- and this podcast, you, things fall through the. Because cracks.
1: this would have been period, you, you, the canyon that we talk about is Laura Canyon, yeah. which uh, you know sits legendary, right above m- right legendary right above.
0: music in, in, industry heritage. There.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, we're going particularly if you go way back and you yeah. had all the biggies who had houses. Uh, some some of those houses that are still there. So Joplin and yep. and, uh, and 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 uh, uh, Clap Clapton and uh, Jimmy. Hendrix, just yeah. all the biggies. And of course, the Beatles came through the canyon. And, and there were uh, moments when all these Buffalo Springsfield, the Beach Boys, all of them, the Mamas and the Papas were all sort of uh, more or less living someplace in that canyon um, at the same time. Uh, and they would wander around the canyon and go to each other's houses and create this music and do a whole lot of drugs and probably had a whole lot of sex yeah. and all kinds of other stuff. And it's also to document that documented in this uh, really lovely movie that's full of all of these people, Jackson Brown, John Sebastian, Lou Adler, uh, Dave Crosby, Michelle Phillips, uh, just all, all everybody you can possibly think of, and, and including many of the acts, many of the bands, uh, musicians who were influenced by them, so Jacob Dylan and Fiona Apple and Beck and Nora Jones, so mm-hmm. you have this interesting sort of uh, um, um, uh, big sort of range of people talking about the music scene that sort of came out of came out of the canyons at that particular time, and then I have this gigantic box set, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in concert. So what this basically is is an aggregation of several years of the actual Rock and and Roll Hall of Fame show and the performances on the show between 2010 and 2017, and then also the 25th year anniversary concert of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which sort of aggregates all of those things. Yeah, uh, 164. That's uh, great performances. 11, 11 DVDs. Uh, the introduction to all of those particular ceremonies. Uh, fantastic performances by just about everybody you can think of. That's great. Uh, over really the, at, at a minimum the last 25 years of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's a beautiful little box set that you can you know can't miss.
0: Fantabulous.
1: It takes care of the music, anyway.
0: And, uh, you know, so let me... Uh, yeah, hit that dock. Let's knock this that dock thing out. He, It yeah. is kind of interesting.
1: The Kids Table. So, The Game of Bridge. 50 years ago, and if you go back and watch any sitcom... From back during that yeah. period. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, I love Lucy, uh, uh, yeah. Hazel, all of that kind oh, of stuff. Hazel. You man. would always have people, and there would be bridge clubs. Yeah, true. The, the wife would be in the bridge club. we play bridge on Wednesdays, and they, they're sitting there playing bridge. And you, you fast forward to today, most people have no idea what that game is. Isn't that weird? It just it just went away from the culture
0: Omar Sharif used to as as popular as we know him today as an actor Omar Sharif's main gig for many many decades was that he wrote a syndicated newspaper column on bridge that's Actually, makes sense completely. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah.
1: yeah, and that's and that's what that's how big that game was. I never knew how to play bridge. I've, I'm I'm familiar with it from watching yeah. it on television yeah. all those years, but it was not a card game of my youth or anything. No. Uh, and what what we have here are these four young people, about 25 years old, and they go off and start joining these bridge tournaments and learning to play bridge and then participating, and they go to all of these tournaments, and just about everybody there is on average between 70 and uh, 90 years old. And they are the only young people there, and they explore the game, they explore the culture, they have all of these wonderful old folks playing bridge, telling these fantastic stories. This is just an absolutely charming, charming movie. Um, uh, about this little slice of Americana that came and seems to be seems to be going away. Uh, they hope the these four young bridge players hope to uh you know uh, engender another enthusiasm or more enthusiasm for the game. I don't think that's going to happen, kids. Uh, you know, with the video games and the uh, and all that kind of stuff. I don't think that I don't think anybody's going to be picking up these cards and playing bridge again. But you know, it's a really really great documentary, The Kids' Table, a bridge documentary.
0: All right, so I'm going to leave the uh, the 4K segment off by by reading an email that we got from Al Lai, longtime listener Al Lai up in the Bay Area. Uh, He writes and he says, Our our, uh, Our Comcast Xfinity signal flatlined for nearly an hour tonight. If high-res movies plus music streaming is the inevitable future, we foobard. (laughs) <laughs> i swear i'm gonna i swear i'm gonna stock up on discs like a fallout shelter pantry i'll shoplift them all if necessary uh that's interesting the, you know it's he's, a great he's, perspective he's going the other way which is you know yeah we take the internet for granted but when it goes down if your entire library of movies and everything is internet based yeah if, if you without the you do not own the internet <laughs> no you do not own, you may have access to what's there, but if it goes away, everything on it goes away. Yeah, yeah, and 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 not for nothing.
1: Even if the company, uh, not not the technical company, but the the, the company uh, from whom you are acquiring, wh- what if they go away? Yeah, 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 yeah True. you know. I mean, I mean that company, you know, it does does your ownership of the streaming right to that movie? Yes, it very well could. It could. It's not I don't know, permitted. man. All I know is all these DVDs I got. Their minds baby that's it as long as I can build a machine to make them play there you so go that 's an interesting thing
0: so back so starting off now with the four ks uh we 've got a, a a movie I never expected to show up on four k and the only reason I think it is is because we 're having a Stallone moment
1: mm, yeah,
0: and because all the Rambos now are on four k right that was we've been we've been pumping those out because we got Rambo Last Blood coming out later this season, mm-hmm. and everybody wants to get their Stallone on in four k and all the rocky movies are on four k so Stallone is the is the actor who's getting the biggest four K treatment lately, and somebody over at Sony um, uh, was solicited. I mean, this is from Lionsgate, so this is the way that I think this goes. This was a this was originally a TriStar film, and it somehow is wound up in the Lionsgate catalog. And uh, somewhere, somebody between Sony and Lionsgate said, "Well, as long as we're doing four K on Stallone, let's go uh, dust off Lockup." And so 1989's Lockup is now on 4K for some weird reason. It's not a very good movie. It's not a bad movie. It's just it comes from that era, that moment when uh, Stallone was trying to find franchises and characters and movie approaches to sort of uh, separate himself from both Rambo and uh, Rocky, trying to do anything, just Mm -hmm. to sort of set himself apart in a different way so he wasn't pegged just to two characters. And lockup is a pretty routine uh, cat and mouse thing, right? Yeah. It's uh, Stallone is the, is the guy who's locked up in prison. Donald Sutherland is the sadistic uh, prison warden. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Well, of course, you're, you're naturally going to have a little reversal and you're going to root for the guy on the inside and against the guy on the outside who's the real, real criminal. It's, you know, we've been there a lot. It's routine. It's a prison film. Doesn't do anything unique other than the fact that it has Stallone and Sutherland. And uh, disc two has Blu-ray. Disc one has uh, some uh, has has the 4K. There are special features on both, Uh, and there it is. Does it look great? Not particularly, but it 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 looks, and that's all that matters. Yep. Also on 4K, we have Daybreakers with Ethan Hawke, Willem Dafoe, Sam Neill, and Isabel Lucas. Enjoyed that movie cool uh, yeah, vampire movie it's, it's, it's fine as far as a vampire movie yeah. uh, d- but you know I kind of feel like these, the, the, the people in it deserve a better vampire movie yeah, yeah, on some yeah, level that's a hell of a cast it's a great cast I mean it's a terrific cast but if you know if you got Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe uh, somehow I kind of feel like you're this is also from Lionsgate I kind of feel like you ought to have a, a better vampire movie anyway this is from 2013 and uh, it is it is respectable in terms of revisionist vampire movies, especially uh, Isabel Lucas, who I think is a really talented actress and hasn't really gotten her, her sea legs yet. And then uh, the last two on 4K are both Disney, and they did for Aladdin what they would not do for Cinderella. Disney, would, for some reason, wanted to bury the, the Kenneth Branagh Cinderella on 4K, even though it came out the same week as the classic Cinderella on 4K, uh, so uh, we were not able to pry the Kenneth Branagh Cinderella, uh, the live-action one, out of them. But they decided, with Aladdin, we want to go all the way. So they, rele- they have released the new live-action Aladdin and the original animated Aladdin on which it is based, both of them on 4K Ultra HD the same week. Both of them look absolutely sensational. Both are loaded with extras. Only one of them is any good. Uh, guess which one? Mm. Yeah, it's the original. And my, my daughter loves the original now. It took her a long time to kind of warm up to it because I think Jafar and the parrot all kind of scared her. Um, we do note in watching it that there is absolutely no um, reverence whatsoever for accuracy. It's like, does it take place in India? Is it in Persia? Yeah. Is it in Saudi Arabia? Does it matter? It doesn't really know. No, it yeah. mixes it all up. Yeah, it's, and all it, made up. it's all kind Which of... This is throat. okay with me. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Uh, but the new Aladdin, much as I want to like it, and I do like things about it, uh, it kind of falls flat for me. And I think Will Smith is fine as the genie. It's perfectly acceptable. Uh, I don't need
1: a live action Aladdin dude. I
0: really don't need it.
1: You know, I mean, other than, you know, the ones that exist from the 30s or 40s are uh, silenier.
0: So let me just say, Mina Masood. Uh, who plays Aladdin, is is okay. He's fine. Uh, Naomi Scott, who plays Jasmine, is amazing and makes the movie, saves the movie. Uh, Marwan Kenzari, who plays Jafar, totally miscast. Like, mm. crazy miscast. So wrong, it's unbelievable. Uh, and that's the pr- and therein lies the problem. Guy Ritchie, who directed it, is not the guy who should have directed this. Guy Ritchie doesn't have a light touch. Mm. Guy Ritchie doesn't really have a great fantasy touch. No. Guy Ritchie is a guy who, uh, gritty, uh, London gritty, tough, yeah. east side, blah blah
1: blah. All yeah, that,
0: you know. yeah. It's this is not. I I don't know why they thought he would he would be good for this. Um, some good special effects. Things made a billion dollars worldwide. Nobody cares what I think about it. But uh, Will Smith is a genie. Fine. He's not Robin Williams. Mm. You know, Robin Williams had the advantage of basically being able to riff on anything he wanted to, and then they would just animate the hell out of it and make it okay. Will Smith has to actually act the performance. Yeah. So he kind of does it his style. Yeah. But in any case, a uh, lot of extras on both of these. Um, you can you can watch uh, in sing-along mode on the original animated film. Uh, there's also the alternate ending, uh, the, you know, the, a thing from the voice actor who played Aladdin for the original uh, animated one. Um uh, some uh, featurettes on the live action. There is uh, there are deleted scenes, bloopers, a deleted song, which thank goodness they deleted because it's really not very good. And then uh, some EPK behind the scenes stuff. So you know, I mean, if you're if you're a fan, if you're if you're a completist, I guess you got to have both. But the Disney streaming service is coming out soon, and you know that should be fine unless you don't want your internet to go down and, and take your entire Disney you. library away. Yeah, yeah true.
1: There it is, and you're screwed. Yep. Same thing
0: with all that, st- all those streaming uh, services,
1: yeah. Uh, that the, that are coming along. I think it's about true. all of those, and and uh, and the thing of it is, behind me right now, uh, rabbit ears. Yeah. Uh, I I got five movie stations where I can watch. You know, not to mention just all the the local yeah. network, network towers in rabbit ears, and there is nothing that can go down transmission tower someplace. I suppose <laughs> uh, that takes that. That signal coming through yeah. the air to my television, just like it did in 1965, 75. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I got to think about that. You know, internet, my internet goes in and out all wacky all the time. Spectrum yep. is what I got. I don't mind poking them a little bit, too. But my rabbit ears, when you came in, I was up on the table over there moving a pair of rabbit ears. Yeah. Because I, ch- I wanted my movie station. Uh, and all I had to do was move my rabbit ears to the left. Station's back. So, you know, folks, sometimes, I don't know, I don't yeah. know. Anyway, speaking of television, um, I have the Alienist here adapted. Pretty good series. Adapted from that Caleb Carr uh, novel about an alienist, which is sort of what they used to call these sort of psychological yeah. pathologist uh, back at the turn of the century, doing this sort of gilded age uh, of things. And this is actually a pretty good series. Uh, uh, well done. Uh, Daniel Bruhl, Luke Evans, uh, Brian Garrity. Uh, in the series, uh, b- basically, it's, it's a Gilded Age search for a serial killer, you know, uh, and uh, and you know it worked. Yeah, I th- I thought it was pretty good. A few special features here include an inside look at the uh, an episode by episode sort of breakdown of what's going on in the series. D- Dakota Fanning, particularly good in this series too. Uh, the alienist, uh, David uh, Bor, what's his name?
0: Boreanis. Boreanis. David yeah.
1: Boreanis. Who is another one of those uh, Scott Bakula-like guys. When when you talk about some of the richest and and, and most powerful guys in television, they're not the names you always know. This guy has been on television nonstop in one series or another. Some of them, uh, his own. He started out as uh, Angel in the original Buffy series, then then Angel uh, for several seasons, and then, of course, uh, I think Bones uh, uh, for many seasons, like 10 or 12 seasons, and came right out of that and went into sill uh team and this is season two of SEAL team uh with David Borianis and I gotta tell you, this guy's been on television for twenty years straight as a uh pre- so it's him, Scott Bakula, the guy that plays MacGyver. Yep. Right? Because yep. you got the MacGyvers True. and all the kind of stuff and then all yep. the Stargates. You look up the the richest and most powerful people it's in unreal. television. It's not the people who you think they are. It's it's to no, catch like very this. Very true. Uh which is why Reese Witherspoon makes TV shows now. Anyway, this is season two of SEAL Team The only thing that always that, that bugged me about uh the SEAL team series is that some of the missions that they would go on would not be missions that you would send the SEAL team on. Uh to uh, Saudi Arabia uh, to, to take out yes, yeah, sure. Uh to to get back a kidnap, this to that. Yeah, sure. But they don't go after drug cartel leaders. No, the, you don't send the SEAL team after no, El don't. Chapo. They do in the <laughs> they, they they do in this series. I know. They'll send and that's yeah. just you know. Come on, guys. Do That's that. silly. It's like that Bond where they said Bond after some drug dealer. I think it was. I think it was. Oh, it, was it was It was. It
0: was Timothy Dalton. Dalton's Timothy Bond. Dalton's bond. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, Living Daylights. Living so Daylights a, or something like Robert that. Robert Davi. Yeah. yeah,
1: you know Robert he's Davi. a drug dealer.
0: Who, who, by the way, Robert Davi is Italian. He's not. Colombian. Not even
1: Colombian. You know. You know. It's like you know. I yeah. don't know. That bugs me. Uh, the ninth season of Hawaii Five O, the reboot of Hawaii Five O. Man, if you'd have told me this thing was going to last damn near a decade. A decade. The ago. original
0: only lasted twelve <laughs> seasons. I know, you know. This thing's gonna last longer than the original. Yeah, it's you know, crazy.
1: It's 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 a it's a wacky thing. Anyway, uh, it's a de- it's it's a decent show. I I don't watch it that much, so I'm not gonna pretend like I do. I have a I have a stick up my butt about these reboots of shows that I loved. Yeah. As a kid, this and uh, the magnum the magnum PI and the you know look I'm yeah. sorry I just got a stick up my butt about it and I like my old stuff. Nevertheless, they keep some of the cool ideas. That, you know, Steve McGarrett is in the show. He comes back to you, you know to avenge his father's death. Uh, and I'm like, you know, is he Steve McGarrett Jr. in the show? or is he, you know, <laughs> No, it's just a new just, McGarrett. Just a new McGarrett with, yeah. a, with, a, with a new set, set of yeah. issues. Anyway, uh, it's an okay show. I love Joan Collins on the show. She came into the show. Uh, 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 playing Dano's mom. Yeah, and you gotta love Joan Collins walking around and he's yeah. been sort of smacking these guys down. Uh, Chai McBride, a good friend of mine, is on the show too. I should uh, full disclosure. Ha uh, Y five O, the ninth season, over one hundred minutes of yep. special features.
0: Fantastic. So we got a bunch of uh, gunk here. Uh, the the multi package deals, the multi movie deals, for just to put them on in the background stuff that you know it's filler. Mill Creek releases a lot of these. What are we going to do with these? Not going to release them individually. So we're going to throw them all together on one. And here we go. Houses of Hell, four movies, which includes American Horror House, The Dunwich Horror, House of Bones, and Mask Maker. In truth, The Dunwich Horror is really the only one worth watching here. And that is because of Dean Stockwell, who is really pretty darn good in it. Yeah. Um, so Dunwich Horror is the one that anchors that. And then we have Savage Nature, four deadly films about monsters that are just animals that will do things and it includes flu birds I can't believe somebody made a movie called flu birds absolutely <laughs> ridiculous the bird virus um monster wolf which you know a wolf's bane and then the uh, the headless horseman you'll notice there's really nothing that holds all these together this is just <laughs> This is just flu birds. What, what are they thinking? Anyway, good news is all, none of these are longer than, than uh, an hour and a half. So uh, this is six hours of just really great silliness. The Headless Horseman is actually kind of funny. I'd never, I didn't even know that they made that. And then the last here, here, two here are from the, uh, the world of Air Bud Entertainment, which means talking animals. And uh, the first one is a triple feature of Pup Star, Pup Star 2, Better Together, and Pupstar Star World Tour, uh, all of which just great on me like nobody's business. I will not watch any more of these. They, they, they're just uh, – it, it's, it, it's insufferable. And uh, it's still not as bad as this double feature of MVP and MVP 2, which is Most Valuable Primate. I get it. Chimpanzees are funny. You can make them do all kinds of things. And in this case, oh, look, it's a chimp. He plays hockey. Oh, look, MVP, too. Let's make him ride a, a skateboard. You know what? I I kind of uh, did did my limit of chimps during the uh, 1970s, and then we were treated to Clint Eastwood with an orangutan. Oh yeah, and and, and now those, I'm those re-
1: those any which way movies. Yeah, man.
0: and now I'm I'm seriously done with the whole thing. I'm I'm done with you know explo- <laughs> exploiting primates that yeah you know, oh. they, they they make noises and they smile and it's just it gets very old. I'm tired of it. Um, and what was the TV show uh, with all the talking monkeys, the talking chimps? What was that? Oh, the talking chimps. Oh, 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 dude, hold on, I gotta do this because Mark Kaiser and I used to talk about this all the time. Um, Live it, action talking chimps. Yes, yes, TV show. Oh, it was uh uh uh, uh Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp. No, oh. it ran from September uh, 1970 to January 1971. It lasted like three. It, yeah, that one it, got past me. It, Thirteen episodes actually. Yeah. Thirteen episodes. Wow. Uh, four of them never aired. They shot seventeen, only aired thirteen. Isn't that crazy? Nuts. Anyway, yeah, Last Night Link, Secret Chip. Uh, speaking of the one I will forgive is the um, TV Funhouse thing that Mark once saw at the comedy club or whatever. Mm. Um, what was that? It's 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 um, Mafia, Mafia Monkey. I think is what it was, Mafia Monkey. Something like that. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's no. It was part of the TV Funhouse thing, and they w- and and Smigel could never get them to uh, actually show it. So he 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 shows it at like parties and gatherings and things. And apparently, there's a whole thing in there where one monkey, where where one chimp walks up to another chimp, shoots him in the head, and then wraps <laughs> his body in a canvas, drives it out to the docks, and throws it into the ocean.
1: I think I've seen that. It's
0: insane. The, just the concept. And I'm dying to see it. And Kaiser talks about it all the time, and I can never, I can never, <laughs> can never, never find it anywhere. Anyway, Mark is Mark is uh, uh, covering Venice for us, and he's uh, gonna bolt. We're, we're we're gonna try to get a thing, get yeah. on Skype, but he's just between screenings and uh you know, he's on
1: those euro trains and, and as soon as
0: venice is over he's off to doville yeah so uh he's just doing the festival thing over there anyway w- let let's, let's do some uh, some other old classic movies uh, as classic uh as well as these yes
1: classics and, and at least one of this this one's from 1989 that uh, yeah. always bugs me a little bit yeah <laughs> they call these classics yeah. anyway it's in one of those boxes that looks like a D, like a vhs sort of being pulled out of the it's True Believer, James Woods, Robert Downey Jr. This is back when you could still um, – when writers could still just write an original script and to have it made into a movie with major movie stars, Wesley Strick, uh, writing here, directed by Joseph Rubin. Uh, Wesley uh, wrote, uh, wrote Cape Fear. R- Wesley wrote Wolf. Uh, yep. He wrote Return to Paradise. I mean, he was one of those guys who th- sat down, thought of a movie, and wrote it. Uh, and, and every now and again, they would be you – know, I mean, Cape Fear was an adaptation – Uh, But, you know, it doesn't happen that much anymore. Anyway, this movie is about this uh, old civil rights lawyer uh, who's uh, more or less not doing anything but uh, representing drug dealers uh, nowadays. And an old murder case uh, comes back up. And uh, a young-ish Robert Downey Jr. uh, comes in as a young attorney that has to help him uh
0: figure out what the hell. I didn't is going mind on. this movie. I I think it has aged fairly well. It's okay. I, yeah, it's course, okay. As a, as yeah. As
1: a, not exactly It's more of a it's more of an investigative sort of thriller piece than but you know, true believer, not bad. Um they should have put they should have put a little something on this in, by way of special features, but they didn't. Uh and Duplicity from two thousand nine uh, Tony Gilroy writing, Tony Gilroy directing, again, an original movie, an original idea written by Tony Gilroy, you know, Tony Gilroy, uh, of uh, of course, but you know, uh, you can't, uh, these just don't happen anymore.
0: No, uh, they don't.
1: They just don't happen, and Michael Clayton, of course, is Tony Gilroy, Tony Gilroy was uh, Rogue One, uh, Nightcrawler, Tony D- Gilroy, but you just don't make these movies anymore. Anyway, this is about these two guys that used to be um, uh, uh, government agents, CIA, NSA, that kind of thing. Now right. they're working in the corporate sphere for two different rival companies. Somebody's company is about to, uh, uh, you know, release a product, and then they can't decide whether they want to uh, go after each other's uh, industrial espionage-wise or want to just go after each other <laughs> because, you know, it's yeah. J.R. Roberts and, and Clive Owen. It's an okay movie, uh, not the greatest one in the world. Uh this, this uh, again, I have a bu- I've all, uh, I've had a bug up my ass about these movies ever since they started doing them in the middle 90s. Basically uh, taking popular television programs, often from the 60s, sometimes even earlier, as Beverly Hills, Billy's the Little Rascals, and adapting them uh, into, into feature films. Car 54, Where Are You was another one. Uh, they, A lot of these movies, uh, starting in the middle 80s or, or late 80s, early 90s, this happened. And it kept happening up to oh uh, the early two thousands. One of the last ones was I Spy, of course adapted from the True. iconic television series with Bill Cosby and uh Robert Robert, what's his name? It was also in um, uh, uh yeah, 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 yeah. The American hero. What was his name? Robert. Uh, he was wonderful.
0: William. Wait, uh, uh, was
1: it was Bill? Co- I spy Bill Cosby and and
0: and. and, and uh, oh, what was
1: his name? I gotta look at the oh name. Oh gosh, anyway, Robert Culp. Robert Culp. Thank, thank you very much, you. Robert Culp. Who who was a venerable television writer and director all through the sixties and seventies. So. By the way, you look him up. Uh, but this is Eddie Murphy and Owen Wilson. And you know, this was just a terrible movie. <laughs> it, was just, it was just a terrible movie. Two funny guys, Eddie Murphy, one of the funniest guys on the planet. It's a mismatch. It's a mismatch. Owen Wilson yeah. was one of these guys who they would simply pair up, you know, him and Jackie Chan, him and whoever, you know, right before he became sort of a standalone movie star. Uh, and and they just made this absolute mess of a movie with Fomka with Fomka Jensen. And you know, uh, what are you going to do? Uh, it, it, no special features on this because it doesn't really deserve any. Uh... The Scars of Dracula, 1970. Now, this is a classic movie. Thank you very much. Jesus Christ. Christopher Lee in another Dracula performance. um, With that sort of uh, early 70s, late 60s sort of mod, sort of happening thing going on. Young man goes to Dracula's castle. He gets killed. His brother comes uh, a few weeks later to try to figure out what happened and uh, sort of unravels the mystery of Um, yet another Dracula story. Uh, Christopher Lee was always a solid Dracula. This movie is a whole lot of fun. It's full of special features. And it's presented in two aspect ratios, the 166, the original 166, and 185. Uh, Audio commentary from the filmmakers, uh, uh, film historians. Uh, These films were always fantastic fun for me, Uh, and I enjoy them thoroughly, and I can watch them to this very day. So, uh, The Scars of Dracula. If you are a Dracula completist, add this from the hammer, Hammer Horror Collection.
0: Yes. That's what I got over here, brother. All right. uh, We're going to wrap it all out now. Uh, Andy Sidaris is a name that you should not be terribly familiar with. Uh, but yet he is incredibly prolific. Mm. Andy Sidaris has, uh, back primarily in the 1990s, made a lot of AFM movies. Yeah. I, with oh, his, I used
1: to. I used to. Um, <laughs> his
0: Malibu Bay films. My wife was an extra in one of them.
1: I, I used to be. A, I used to be one of his script doctors. He had a little little cadre of script doctors. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I was one of his script doctors. Well, he's now. been
0: doing 4K restorations of uh, all his old stuff and pimping it out through Mill Creek. And so we got a couple of old Andy Sidaris movies from 1990 and 91. The 1991 is called appropriately "Guns." Yeah, because Andy Sidaris realized, hey, nobody's actually used guns as a title before. <laughs> How did we miss that? <laughs> All right, now what's it going to be about? Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, guns. Yeah. Who cares? It's guns. Let's just give people guns. So we we uh wind up making a movie with Eric Estrada. And a bunch of women with guns, <laughs> and let's take pictures of them. Hey, I got an idea. Let's get Eric Estrada holding a really big gun, oh, and let's put it on the cover with a woman who's wearing a bustier and 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 garter and, and, and oh, legging. Yeah. Look at look at that. It's like that's the, 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 yeah. the, the scene she's wearing, man? She's wearing a bustier and not much else, and and stilettos, and she's holding a big gun. You, look, then we, we got you, another woman wearing a latex dress. <laughs> we you, mean, a you gun? make fun of, Andy?
1: But Andy did this. Andy, Andy, look, Andy. Andy knocked out a couple of really good episodes of Kojak back in the day. Yeah, he did. Uh, Angie, Angie uh, used to knock out a whole bunch of uh, those ABC Worldwide sports. Yeah, Andy was Andy was one of those guys. Uh, you know, and, and uh, one or two decent, yeah, Gemini Man. Remember Gemini Man, middle yeah, seventy kind of. Totally. knocked out one or two of those as a director, and you know, he figured he figured that thing he out. He did, and, and uh, he sure yeah, did. And he just figured, out, hey, Andy used to come. Andy would have like footage. Of explosions and gunfights. Yep, and he and you know, 25, 40 minutes of that kind of footage. Him and a few other guys, uh, Peter, well, Peter, Peter Majari. Yeah, uh, and they would be like, "Write me 45 minutes that includes this." Yeah, and he didn't really care what the 45 minutes was about. It's true. You just had to wrap that in, into the story. Man.
0: There, there are uh, a lot of these guys who do these a- AFM things, and Andy's one of the one of the top ones. They also have a thing with Mill Creek, which is their movie spree. You can go to moviespree.com slash redeem. And uh, or just MoviesPree.com to uh, add these things to your library if you buy them, and then you've got your own version of uh, movies anywhere, courtesy of Mill Creek. So it's another one of those deals. But uh, anyway, there it is. It's called da Guns. I love the li- <laughs> I love the log line or, or the tagline: "Locked, cocked, and ready to rock."
1: <gasps> That's crazy. Again,
0: uh, director and writer. And then Andy Serkis, a year later, did Do or Die. And uh, that's uh, kind of more the same. You got a couple of hot women, and uh, an, in this case, a more sophisticated actor by the name of Pat Morita, who mm. you know as Mr. Miyagi from the uh, from the Karate Kid movies. Uh, this is one of the yeah, last. E- Air
1: Castrada is no Pat Morita.
0: Yeah, no, but but uh, but Pat Morita still is a is a, a name at this time, and he kind of bestows a certain uh, legitimacy on these movies. So. Uh, you know why the hell not uh, pat marina and a couple of hot women in something called do or die and uh, it you know it it's it, it is what it is it's it's a it's just a, another kind of a federal government um fed you know undercover agents and it, it makes no sense. Don't even <laughs> worry about it. It's it's crazy. Uh, the last three here. This is stuff we really want to give some uh, give some props to. The first one is an Arrow release. Uh, the last two are Criterion releases, and we're going to go out on Criterion because it's just got to end on a high note. Uh, but in Who Saw Her Die from Arrow, this is an Aldo Lotto movie starring George Lazenby and Anita Strindberg that is not bad, mm. actually. It's It's kind of culty. Uh, comes from uh, the early 70s when these things were sort of a dime a dozen and they would just come out and disappear again. Um, but, uh, you know, and George Lazenby was having a moment, even yeah, though yeah, he yeah. only lasted one film as Bond. One he, Bond. You know, yeah, you know, he, he still had kind of a moment. He did some other stuff. Yeah. He wasn't. Didn't. I think Dalton had two Bonds, right? He did, yeah. had two. Yeah. yeah, he outlasted Lazenby. Yeah. Too bad. Uh, but anyway, this is uh, this is basically an Italian mystery thriller. Uh, it Kind of comes out at the time when they're doing a lot of those, and the whole Dario Argento moment. And uh, it's got a you know it's got a great score from Ennio Morricone that makes it a much better movie than it has any any business being. It is um, there's a the the whole crime aspect of this, the whole vengeance uh, angle, is really not very interesting. But because it takes place against the backdrop of Venice. And it's got a nice backdrop, too. So it's, a, it's, an interesting, uh, it's an interesting little oddity from the early 70s. It's worth uh, giving a look at. Who saw her die by Aldo Lotto on Blu-ray from Arrow? And then here's what we get from Criterion. And my goodness, this is great. John Waters' Polyester on uh, Blu-ray. Yes. At long, bloody last. Now, the the this is an 86-minute blitz. From John Waters with Divine in one of his best ever performances, and uh, this is really—I'm I- kind of amazed. John Waters getting the Criterion treatment is a is a bestowal of legitimacy that mm-hmm. is really. Uh, but nonetheless, the film is a r- is most interesting because it it pays homage to a particular kind of melodrama from the 1950s, mm. in a in a really kind of affectionate way. Yeah, r- Waters is not making fun of these no. movies. He's really loving it. These and were the
1: movies that he loved when he was young. Uh, absolutely. Those, those, those movies. Yeah. And that's
0: why he cast Tab Hunter. Tab yeah. Hunter came stars in this basically playing Tab Hunter. And knowing what you know now about Tab Hunter, yeah. yeah. The Tab Hunter was was a, a gay man in the closet through much of his career, even including at the time of this movie, and knowing John Waters is a gay man and yeah. has never hid from that. This is now doubly interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Polyester has tons of extras on this. Interviews from 1993 with all the actors and uh, the original commentary from 1993 for the Criterion Laser Disc with John Waters. It's great. And then we're going to go out on an Ernst Lubitsch movie, Clooney Brown. Uh, it's one of my all-time favorite movies from 1946. Classic Ernst Lubitsch. It is a wonderful script. It is just uh, really, really such smart dialogue. So clever. And beautiful uh, Jennifer Jones. Beautiful, it's just great. And unfortunately, this is the last film that Ernst Lubitsch would ever make. Yeah. This was his his swan song. But it is uh, it's uh, it takes place in England just before World War II and it is it's effectively a comedy of manners it is wonderful it has great performances from everybody involved it is uh,
1: ridiculously young Peter Lawford
0: oh it's you know Jennifer Jones is great Uh, Peter Lawford is great Uh, Reginald Owen the amazing Reginald Owen is just so wonderful in this Charles Boyer yeah it is a it's a superb cast it's just wonderful and especially coming now with uh, Downton Abbey kind of coming on the way this this intersects with that in a really interesting way. A lot of great stuff in here, including the uh, an interview on the Lubitsch Touch with uh, film scholar Bernard Eisenschitz from 2004. Screen director's Playhouse uh, adaptation of this from 1950, and uh, a great conversation between Molly Haskell and Baron smith Nimi on the way that female characters are portrayed in Ernst Lubitsch's movies, which is uh, very very interesting. not pay enough attention to it. So there it is. Uh, Ernst Lubitsch goes goes French farce with the English uh, in Clooney Brown in 1946. It gets a Blu-ray treatment from Criterion. And with that, folks, we are done. We're going to have a lot of great stuff for you in the next coming weeks. And as a reminder, if you are in Los Angeles, uh, the short film "Refugee" one showing a day at the Los at the uh, Lemley Royal on the west side of Los Angeles, uh, starting on September 20th to the 26th. Please come around. You might bump into me there. I'm going to be uh, circulating and uh, we'll be we about. Be we will both to be about. We'll yeah. be about. And then Tim's got his movie, which he's uh, going to finish very soon, and mm-hmm. uh, we're very eager to see what happens yes, with yes, that. It's going to be. I
1: might might make the downtown
0: Los Angeles Film Festival. Oh, that would be great. We'll see. All right. See you next week.